and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, December 12th through Saturday the 14th feature guest conductor Manfred Hernick and pianist Jan Lesitsky. The program includes the first Chicago Symphony Orchestra performances of Mason Bates' Resurrexit, Piano Concerto No. 21 by Mozart, and after intermission, A Taste of Old Vienna with music by Johann Strauss Jr. and Josef Strauss. And here are program notes by Philip Husher on Resurrexit by Mason Bates. The work lasts about 10 minutes. Life has been busy for Mason Bates since he stepped down as the Chicago Symphony Orchestra's Mead Composer-in-Residence back in 2015. He's now in his fifth season as the resident composer for the Kennedy Center, and his composing career has continued to soar. In 2018, he was named Musical America's Composer of the Year. His first opera, The Revolution of Steve Jobs, premiered to sold-out houses at the Santa Fe Opera in 2017, has since been produced in several American opera houses, including Seattle Opera and at Indiana University, and will be staged by the San Francisco Opera next summer. The recording won the 2019 Grammy Award for Best Opera Recording. A year ago, the Pittsburgh Symphony kicked off its season with the work that opens this week's concert, Resurrexit, which honored the 60th birthday of Manfred Hernick, its music director. Last December, the National Symphony presented a new large-scale score, Art of War, a symphony exploring the drama of human conflict. This coming March, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra will premiere Bates' Philharmonia Fantastique, The Making of the Orchestra, in a series of performances celebrating the centennial of our orchestra's historic concerts for children, launched by its second music director, Frederick Stock. Chicago audiences first got to know Bates' music through works that regularly featured him on stage at his laptop, overseeing a great array of sounds, from recordings of the 1965 Gemini 4 spacewalk in The B-Sides, which Ricardo Muti conducted here in 2011, to the Fermilab particle accelerator in Alternative Energy, the first work written as part of his Chicago residency, premiered here in February 2012 with Muti conducting, and then taken to Carnegie Hall on the orchestra's tour the next fall. But Bates' music has since ventured in new directions, and he has continued to expand his sonic vocabulary. His swan song in his Chicago role, Anthology of Fantastic Zoology, was first performed by Moody and the orchestra in 2015. And here are words by Mason Bates himself on Resurrexit. Composers from Bach to Mahler have set the resurrection in large-scale choral settings, but the story has not been animated in the purely symphonic, kinetic form that attracted me. Resurrexit challenged me to consider a subject and sound world I had never explored musically, a biblical narrative full of mystery and the supernatural. The piece opens in darkness, with the dusty mystery of the Middle Eastern evoked by exotic modes and sonorities, as a throaty melody laments the death of Christ. The entrance of the beautiful Easter chant, Victime Pascale Laudes, signals the first stirrings of life, conjured by trills, altar bells, and the remarkable semantron, a large wooden plank hammered by huge mallets used by Byzantine monks as a call to prayer. 
mystery turns into magic as the reanimation is illustrated by quicksilver textures that whirl and flicker, building to an exhilarating finale which features a soaring reprise of the Easter chant. Words by Mason Bates himself and program notes by Philip Husher on Bates' Resurrexit. And now on to Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 21 in C major, a work lasting about 29 minutes. Early in 1785, Leopold Mozart traveled to Vienna to check up on his already famous son, newly married, against his father's wishes, to Costanza Weber, and at the peak of his popularity as a pianist and composer. Leopold reached Vienna on February 10th, the same day Wolfgang entered a new piano concerto in D minor in his catalog, although when he arrived at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, as he wrote home to Wolfgang's sister Nanel, the copyist was still copying and your brother did not even have time to play through the rondo. Wolfgang premiered the work at a concert that night. Leopold knew his son's life was hectic and that he was giving concerts at a frantic pace. The previous March, Wolfgang had written of playing 22 concerts in 38 days. I don't think that in this way I can possibly get out of practice, he quipped. But nothing had quite prepared him for the multitasking of nonstop socializing, performing, and composing that he would witness during the next 10 weeks. Even a long and brutal cold spell with heavy snowfall and temperatures so low that several people froze to death didn't curtail Wolfgang's performing schedule. Leopold watched in amazement as his son's piano was carted out of the house to a concert nearly every other day. Their calendar was so packed with social engagements that Wolfgang and Costanza, like heads of state, were forced to accept different invitations for the same night. Shortly after Leopold's arrival, the Mozarts hosted an evening of chamber music, including performances of three of Mozart's new quartets dedicated to Haydn, attended by Haydn himself, who told Leopold that, Your son is the greatest composer known to me either in person or by name, a tribute Leopold would proudly repeat verbatim in the months ahead. During the day, Wolfgang maintained his teaching schedule with a steady stream of pupils showing up at the Mozart's lavish, though disorderly, lodgings. Leopold eventually warmed to Costanza, but he never thought that she was a good housekeeper. Somehow, throughout this period, Mozart also managed to compose with astonishing fluency and brilliance, as if the distractions of daily life stimulated rather than inconvenienced him. During Leopold's first four weeks in Vienna, Wolfgang wrote this new piano concerto in C major, hard on the heels of the D minor concerto. These two works, so close in time yet so different in substance and character, are among the glories of his output, and with them, Mozart seems to have created a new kind of concerto, more symphonic and closely argued than before. Leopold was in the audience for the premiere of this concerto on March 10th, the day after Mozart entered it in his catalog, and although it was well-received, Leopold characteristically reported that Wolfgang took in 559 golden, with little to say about the music itself. There's a density of material in the opening movement of the C major concerto that mirrors the round-the-clock frenzy of Mozart's life at the time, except that the music is perfectly poised and masterfully organized. 
the entire movement is very broadly conceived. More than any of Mozart's earlier concertos, it has the majesty and vastness of his grandest symphonies. The solo piano doesn't enter boldly with music the orchestra has already introduced, but hesitantly ushered in by oboe, bassoon, and flute. The piano writing throughout is unusually inventive, rich in fancy figuration, and aggressive in its dialogue with the orchestra. The development section focuses mostly on secondary material because Mozart has already explored his main themes from so many different angles. If the first movement is symphonic in scope, the second, in F major, is operatic, although there's no single aria of Mozart's that encompasses such an extraordinary range of emotions or explores so fearlessly the expressive world that lies beyond words. It completely upstaged Bo Witterberg's pretty art house film, Elvira Madigan, in the 1960s, at the same time winning countless new admirers for Mozart and tempting concert and record promoters to include the name of the movie's heroine as if it were Mozart's subtitle. This is one of Mozart's most profound and endlessly revealing works. In one seemingly unbroken arc, the piano traces a melody that floats over a quiet, pulsating accompaniment, rising and circling, plummeting just once, like a great soprano voice, from high C to low A. Later, the accompaniment stops for a single, breathtaking moment, as if by its silence to call attention to a modulation to A-flat major. After such time-stopping music, the finale is almost of necessity a return to simpler, earthier pleasures. Like an operatic finale, it summarily dismisses recent difficulties and revelations, but it spares nothing in the way of spirit and wit, and in the end, it stands as an ideal counterpart to the brilliance and beauty of what had come before. Program notes by Philip Husher on Mozart's Piano Concerto Number no. 21. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.